Well, it's that time again. Well, Michael berates me for not being in a cheery mood because somebody woke up with a headache. But now with an high on muscle relaxers, welcome to Below Average Gaming, where we don't condone the use of drugs you're not prescribed to you. So, Michael, how's it going today? You have the strangest definition of berate, if that's berating. You really need to, know. like, check your sensitivity for a second. No, you see, I put all my stats into, like, strength and endurance, and I put none of them into charisma, so I have no social awareness. It's fine, mm. though. Yeah. You'll, you make it up. We we round the powered party out together, you know, the way we've chosen to level up ourselves. Do Which we? is what we're going to be... I Well, I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> Well, the, the hair balance is out, right? Like that that's oh, okay. something. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It's good. Now, obviously today we're going to be talking about leveling up in games. And how shitty it is in most games. And like really, you know, I thought I was going to put more on this list, but really when it comes down to it, we're going to be splitting up the actual leveling system in games and then gear in the next episode. And then really, majority of games really do rely on gear to make up for their crappy leveling system. We have a few examples of some good ones, but most of these are just kind of really lame and phoned in and stapled in to like make you feel like you're progressing when really they could have just given you stuff as you level up and just never give you a skill tree if you get it all in the end anyways. So where do you want to start this off? You want to talk about just like passive level increasing first? I mean... I expected this, I expected to have a lot more to talk about today, mm-hmm. but I think I kind of realized there's no good, like, first or third person RPG with, like, a really good leveling system. I just, Not like, really. don't actually think there is. And yeah. even our best games are, like, not your traditional, like, first person RPGs. No. And I think so many of these games <laughs> just fall into this weird middle ground. Mm-hmm. But I think the basic for these leveling systems is going to be the leveling systems where you get your level up and all your base stats increase by a little bit, right? Yep. So your like health goes up by 20 or whatever. You get a little bit more damage, a little bit more speed, whatever your specific stats are for the game. Yeah, and stuff like Final Fantasy is a big part of that. So that's why we don't really have much in the way of that series on here is because for the most part, that's how they've done their games until... They introduced the sphere grid in Final Fantasy X, which is just, it's like making you work for those stats rather than just giving to me in the first place, because that's all it is. It's just like, I choose to go to the health node over here, and it's not, it's almost like false leveling, where they could have just done the same way they do passive stat increases like with Final Fantasy VII. So all it is is busy work just to bloat game. It doesn't actually matter yeah. that much in the end, especially when you end up filling out the whole grid anyways, it doesn't really matter how long it takes. It's just, it's the same goal, but you can kind of choose a slightly different path to get there. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the same situation with a lot of those games that just have your like skill points. So Mm. something like dungeon defenders, for example, which we both love the game, but you level up and you get three to like 25 skill points, depending on what level it is. And it's like, it's not really interesting. No, it's a little bit more interesting than just if all of your stats go up by one because you can try to like <clears throat> build one stat up really high or like go with specific levels that you think might be better. 
But I feel like most of the time it just winds up feeling more time consuming than it does wind up feeling good. Yeah. And with games like that, too, where you can just reset it at any time, there's no actual decision you're making because you can just change your decision whenever you feel like it. Right. So it doesn't actually affect your progression very much. And that's something that's pretty common in a lot of games. Like Diablo is really bad for that, too, that like you have all these level ups, you have skills you unlock, but everything can be reset at any time. So it doesn't even matter. Even like the Paragon points in Diablo 3 after you reach the level cap, like those passive points you're putting into things can just get reset on the fly. There's literally only one point in the game where you can't reset them, and that's during the um, greater rifts where you can't change anything during it, but that's just for like one run, so it's like 10 minutes. Other than that, you can just change them wherever you feel like it, so it doesn't really matter. You can change Paragon levels in that game too. Yes. Alan the Fly, it doesn't even matter. There's no cost to it at all. Which just like it diminishes a lot of it diminishes a lot of the role playing game elements of it because it's just like it doesn't really matter. You're just shoving numbers around whenever you feel like it. Which works for the game in a good way and a bad way when it comes to the way that you can switch skills in and out because gear changes the way that you use your skills. But then it just doesn't really matter anymore it's just then the game's just about gear not about actual level progression yeah and i think i think that's kind of hard because something that we've both kind of talked about and have very much realized yesterday is we like when games have consequences of some kind when there's like Mm -hmm. some kind of lasting effect to choices you make and when you have your stats just enabled to entirely be reset and changed at any time it's kind of destroys that for a big part And a lot of games wind up putting in, like, a cost to that. So Mm -hmm. for something like Dungeon Defenders, you can respec, but it costs you, like, 50,000 mana. Which, long-term, means nothing. Yes. But still puts something there, so it feels a little bit different. But then there's other games, like, something like WoW. I think it would be really bad for that game to have a talent lock in on it where you can't change your talents because it would artificially inflate that game because since there are balance changes if something gets nerfed and suddenly your class needs a different talent than you have you have to level a whole new character and re-gear yourself from the ground up i think that would feel really bad and i know modern wow doesn't have it but in like classic you had a cost to respecting so you had to like pay gold to change your talents and stuff Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I think monetary ways of changing your skills like that is, it's a band-aid for that, but something like WoW has to have it because it changes. Diablo 3, because they have balance changes, there's a seasonal leaderboard, they change what items do in that game. So it makes sense that you can switch stuff in and out, but it's not my favorite way to play games because then it just, it doesn't feel meaningful in the decision you make and it's just more grinding, grinding, grinding. And like, You've played a ton of WoW. I used to play WoW a long time ago, and I've put probably like a thousand hours into Diablo 3. Yeah. So it's not like I hate any of these games. It's just, uh, you know, there's criticisms about them, right? Yeah. And as someone who played, like, I played WoW for the first time in, like, Burning Crusade, and I've played some in Battle for Azeroth, and I haven't played Shadowlands yet, but I played some in, Mm. like, recent expansions. I think that the old system was a lot better. Because I think, one, your talent trees were more interesting, which is a really big upside to that game. In a game like that, where everything is completely min-maxed, 
little stat changes in your talent trees actually wind up being interesting because they have a big impact, even if it's only like 5% or whatever, versus other games where if you're not min-maxing, then your like little percent increases are really like boring to try and itemize yeah. around. Um, but in WoW, one of the things I like that it did is it had a scaling cost to uh, respec, to change your spec. So the oh, first time you did that. it, it was like 10 and then it would be 15 and then 20 and then 25 and then 50 or something like that. And yeah. it would like decrease over time. So after like two weeks, if you like respect four times and you were at the $50 mark after like two weeks or something, you'd go back down to the 25. So it actually made it more expensive for you to respect constantly, which I thought was a good way to balance it out because there were like some situations where one type of skill is one good for one type of activity and another type of skill is good for a different type of activity, which makes like the character feel like there's something going on versus just being able to flip flop where in modern WoW, I think for one, your talents are pretty uninteresting for the most part from what I've seen. And you can just flip flop them constantly. You just have to go to a town. Yeah. And that's a very blizzard thing now is flip flopping talents around. It's pretty common in all their games. I'm really surprised, apparently in Diablo 2, they're going to use the old leveling system where you actually can't change things around. Apparently. But I haven't, you know, I'm not in the alpha, so I have no idea. But apparently they're just keeping it the same way. And you can actually save import from your original Diablo 2's file, which is pretty sick. That's pretty sick. Blizzard doing something like that is pretty sick. I actually really, really, really like that. But that's yeah, just like I, a generalized... Oh, you go ahead. I think that just <clears throat> allowing people to flip-flop and taking out kind of the locked-in choices from games is something that's just been happening recently. Yeah. Very, like, across the board, games are erring on kind of the side of convenience and allowing you to do whatever you want. Which I think some people really like, and I really don't. I Like, it actually takes me away from some games when this progression doesn't feel like it means anything because I can just flip it and do something different. Yeah. And then there's like, there's also like kind of in the vein of the more like what we're going to call kind of like shallow progression games where you can either flip flop. There's not a lot to it. Like a lot of the modern action RPG adventure games have like skill trees that are stapled on for the sake of it, which like, not to go like crazy in depth on, but like Horizon, God of War, Last of Us, Tomb Raider. These games just feel like it's there for the sake of being there. Where you could just like get them over time and it would be the same thing. Yeah, it's something like specifically with God of War, I feel like a lot of the God of War skills should just be base skills to your kit mm-hmm. and either just be unlocked at the start of the game or just like. Honestly, just be unlocked at the start of the game. <laughs> yeah. But like with something like uh, Horizon or with uh, Tomb Raider, there's a lot of skills that I'm just like, you should just unlock this at level three. Putting this skill tree like gives me the impression of depth. But in reality, I just wind up with all of these. Like, it's not like it's a progression. Yeah. It's not like it's really a decision. Sure, it's going to change the 20 minutes when I have one skill instead of the other. But overall, it just feels like they're kind of just put in there to be like, we have a skill tree. Exactly. And it's just even stuff like Borderlands to a point, it feels like it's there for because they can. The skill trees just like feels really phoned in. 
and it's getting worse. I feel it, like just... Borderlands. So Borderlands 3, which is the most recent one. We played through it entirely. I mm-hmm. kind of forgot because that game was really forgettable in my <laughs> opinion. <laughs> um, my issue with the Borderlands skill tree how has always been, I feel like I look at the skill tree and you have like you have your three different paths you can go down. And mm-hmm. I always feel like between those three paths, there's like maybe four interesting skills. Yeah, the rest are just very boring, and they're just variants of the skills that the other characters have. Like, this gives you more ammo, this makes you more accurate, and there's nothing actually interesting in there. Like, I think the biggest example was playing Borderlands 2. I think, uh, Mechromancer? Yeah. Is that the character? Is that, that's the anarchy character, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah. That skill tree was so cool because everything about it felt interesting. Because it was all about an entirely new mechanic and actually took that mechanic into account with its skills and you got to switch and swap and you had to see which skills did what. Because, like, they all said what they did, but you don't know how something feels until you try it. And that was one of the times that I really enjoyed a skill tree in this game. Whereas 90% of the time, I feel like I, like, go to, like, my pause menu and look at the bottom skill in a tree and then be like, okay, I know which tree I'm going. Yeah, I always go to the bottom to check. And... It's silly because even Borderlands 2, I thought I felt better as a whole, the skill trees, especially because it had more classes. Borderlands 3 still hasn't added another character, which I think is a big miss, in my opinion. And like Zero's, Zero's skill tree, I think, in Borderlands 2 was really good because you could play the sniper character, but you could also play the stealth assassin character where your goal was to never be seen, which is like really unique for a shooter like that. So it made the skill tree actually matter. I think if you if you took the the good skills in Borderlands two and you mix them in with the way gear gear works in three like guns switching fire would make progression of that game feel a lot better. But as is, it's just not it's not as satisfying when you just are reading your stat sheet and being like, okay, I guess I'll get more reload speed this time, and it's just it makes it really uninteresting. I think. Borderlands also suffers from that issue of I think so many stats and shooters just feel underwhelming Mm -hmm. because like 5% reload speed is an empirically like really powerful stat. Yeah. Like it's, it is like something that is strong in a lot of situations, but isn't something that feels really good. No. So it doesn't like give you that, give you that like power fantasy of like wanting to like Mm -hmm. wanting to do it. Whereas like, I feel for specifically if you want to talk reload speed, because I feel like so many of those skills just have reload speed randomly tacked onto them to be like, hey, look, they just have this reload speed is just boring. It is. It is. Like until until you hit the point where you're like your reloads are disappearing, like 70 plus percent reload speed. It just feels like boring. It's not fun. And I think that Borderlands puts too much into its guns that it can't put stats into its characters. I wish that this game just reassessed and like, if you have to cut stats on guns across the board, that's fine, but make the character trees actually feel impactful and feel really Mm. interesting. Because again, the only time I've really felt that with this game is with the anarchy build on Necromancer, where like, I felt like what I was doing actually actively changed what I was trying to do. And Mm. I know with borderlands, uh, when the game Borderlands 3, when it first came out, there was a build a little bit like that with the robot lady. Yeah. Where you could go like grenades and give your grenades lifesteal and make them like self-recharge. 
Mm-hmm. So you could like do something completely unique. It was also completely busted. That's why it's not in the game anymore. But you could yeah. do something very <laughs> unique that felt completely different. And I'm not saying that that should not be in the game. It definitely shouldn't be in the game based on the power level that it was when you could do it. But things like that need to happen more in games like this. Agree. And then we go into like the next layer of depth here with these kind of games. Like, I think this is where hmm. the last like, I think if I'm correction, if I if I'm correct, the only game left that we have to talk about where your decisions can just be changed at like willy nilly is Divinity. Yes. And that ruined that game for me. Instantly. I stopped playing within an hour of that being shown to me. Because you have this super deep RPG that's on the surface, right? It looks really deep. You know, something like... I guess the best example is probably just Dungeons & Dragons, right? Where you actually have to make decisions and you're stuck with them. And I was just like, finally. And then all of a sudden the game's like, oh yeah, by the way, this game's 15 hours long and you can reset your skills. Like, what do you mean? Uh, I, I was like, what? We're at the end and I can reset my skills now, all this stuff. I'm like, this game kind of s- sucks. <laughs> and I was just like really surprised because I was in for like, man, I felt like Divinity was going to be like some 70, 80 hour long thing. But no, the game's built for you to do it over again and over again and over again and over again with new characters. But it's just, that's not fun to keep doing the same story over and over and over again. Now, I understand you can make other decisions, but they're just like, the decisions aren't f- as fun as they could be. And because progression is so easily reset, it made it a lot less interesting to me. And honestly, the lone wolf skill in that game is super busted. Because it works in two player. You can double lone wolf it and you break the hell out of that game. And it's really easy because you both don't have a companion. But yeah. You both have the lone wolf bonus, so who needs companions? And it, it got to a point in that game where we were playing on some pretty some pretty deep areas we shouldn't be in, and it was just like destroying everybody. Because lone wolf's busted. But that inherently that skill tree just didn't feel good to me. And when you have this RPG and you let me reset my skills with no cost, you just you lose a lot of the immersion factor for it. So honestly, we just went back. You know, me and my girlfriend, we went back to start playing Diablo 3. I'm like, well, if, you know, if this game's just meant to be reset, I'd rather just go grind some more Diablo 3 and find some more set pieces. Like, screw this game. Yeah, I mean, then- Divinity, I wound up playing an extremely little amount of Divinity because the game felt super clunky to me. Mm-hmm. As well as, if you give me an RPG and I look at my skill tree and I'm not interested, I'm just going to nope off of your game. Yeah. Like that's actually just kind of how it is. And I think that in this next set of games we have to talk about kind of these the let's call these the Bethesda games that missed. Ooh, One I of like these that. games just like completely lost me on the skill tree, and the other one I actually think had a reasonable skill tree and then the rest of the gameplay of Fallout 4 was a disaster. <laughs> It's such the shooting in four is <laughs> awful. We'll have, to, we'll have to talk shooters one week, just like in general. I feel like we both have some thoughts. <laughs> but yeah, so what do you want to do, Skyrim or Fallout first? Uh, let's start with Fallout. 
Okay. I'll sit up for Fallout. I have not played <laughs> any other Fallout games. I have only played Fallout 4. Okay. And you'll remember this, but I literally didn't figure out that the tabs, is that the right name for it? No. What's the what, name of special? it? Special? You mean special? Vats? Oh, Vats. Yeah, yeah, Vats. Vats. Vats, the naming system, yeah. I didn't know that Vats existed until I, like, explored the skill tree and start saw, like, multiple skills talking about this thing's called Vats. Mm. And, and then I was, like, the 10 hours easy. into the game, and then I found out the game was easy, and I was like, wow, this game's kind of boring now. Oh, yeah. But I actually think that skill tree was interesting because all of the skills, or at least most of them, felt like they were actually impactful to how you play the game. And this is well, a big thing that are. we'll probably talk about next week with loot as well, where I think the best skills and the best progression are things where I get to make a change that actually affects how I play, mm. not just how powerful I am. Yeah. And Fallout does do something really good with its leveling system. I... If it just felt better to do combat and Fallout 4, I would love that game. Just combat feels crappy. If if shooting in Fallout 4 felt like Destiny, I'd probably have like 300 hours in that game. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. Like you said, like the, the skill trees here, and especially because some of the stuff you can get in Fallout games is really unique. Like Mysterious Stranger showing up in Vats is like really odd. There is different weird perks you can get that are situational and you actually have to do something in the world to get them. I th I can't remember what it's called and I don't want to spend a thousand hours looking this up, but it's the, it's the, like the weird West perk. People know what I'm talking about. If they played fallout where like weird crap happens in your game. If you take it, I love that part. That is a very, very unique thing that you can pick to do that. Most games wouldn't like want to, spend the time programming that right where it's just like oh look there's some weird fridge with a dead body in it now because you took this perk or look this dog is talking to you for no reason because you took this perk i actually think i really like that about fallout it's just the combat felt off and the other thing about fallout is if i remember correctly for each of the skills you had to have like a certain level of its trait so in order to get like the tier five luck skill, you had to have five points in luck, which yes. I really like that. I think that's really cool of another interesting way to add to your character development where you have your stats that you put points into actually determine what sort of skills you have access to. Yeah, that's a that's a really big deal to me. There's even like, as we'll talk later on, there are some games that have passive leveling up. It's like what I sometimes refer to it as is when you do something more, you get better at it. And a lot of those games have breakpoints where they give you something for being good at it. And I like that about Fallout. And then there's there's Skyrim, though. Where you're just a you're a Swiss Army knife. You're mm. you're just a multi-tool. Yeah. And there's no like there's no progress there's no like you do whatever meaningful you progression. Yeah, you can do whatever you want whenever you want it. It doesn't matter what you were doing, you can just go do something else. To be fair, at least this game does, you have to do the thing to progress in it. That is one thing that this game has going for it. It it, it does do that, but it's just, it does as someone, it in a very... As someone who has stood there and crafted a hundred daggers, you have to do the mm. thing to get better at it. <laughs> yeah, you have to do the thing to get better at it, but all of it feels so easy to do. that like You can level up to anything as quick as you want, and it really doesn't take very long. 
As if, of course, sneak skills are a pain in the butt. But all you have to do I is mean, find a house where somebody stands still and walk into a corner in circles and you'll just get oh it. Oh, no. Do, do you not know? The way you level sneak is you get to High Mountain? What's the name of the place? High Guard? I don't, I don't fucking know. <laughs> Whatever. The place on the top of the mountain with the graybeards? Mm-hmm. They're immortal. So once you get your sneak to a certain level, you just stand behind one of them and backstab them repeatedly. They don't notice you and you level up your sneak. I had no idea. See, it's actually you can actually just exploit sneak in that game. Also, the entire game like breaks in half when sneak is maxed. It's oh, the yeah. other big problem with this the, the skill trees in this game. <laughs> oh, so okay. On that, in Oblivion, I did a very similar thing with sneak. Which is actually actively bad, which we'll talk about later. You you don't want to do this in Oblivion because it actually screws up your character. I did the rubber band trick on like my joystick because there's a boat as part of the Thieves Guild um, section where the guy will never notice you. He doesn't move no matter what time it is. He just sits in his in his chair in this boat, and if you get behind him and you just rubber band your controller, walk into a corner, you you can max your sneak. And then you just like walk away and go do something else. It was pretty funny. It's actively bad to do that in Oblivion, though. But you can kind of do similar stuff in Skyrim with that. But it, once again, it's just one of those things where, like, you just grind at something monotonously in Skyrim, and then you can just do it. You can be a thieving archery wizard in, like, three hours if you really feel like it. <laughs> I think I think that's the biggest thing. The fact that it's just you can do, you can do everything. Mm-hmm. And you can and just switch what you're doing at any time. The commitment to do it feels like extremely low. Mm. And it, I think I would be a little bit more in favor of this if I felt like having a high like sneak skill actually impacted how you sword fought. If that makes yeah. sense. Like mm. if these skills actually had some sort of interconnectivity and actually interacted with each other a little bit, but they don't. Yeah. It's just they, they, they refuse to upgrade their combat systems. Bethesda does. Like, full stop. They just don't care to, like, change it, which sucks. And I'm hoping that maybe at the time we get the new Elder Scrolls game, or what is it, in like, like Star years. Citizen? Yeah, in, like, 10 years. They, they said it was 10 years. Don't be tricked. But, yeah. It's just, I mean, I'm sorry, sorry. Upgrade I these mean, engines. Star Citizen is probably 10 years out. We've got, like, 25 before Elder Scrolls 6. Yeah. We haven't even seen what Star Citizen is yet. That game is just... A wall, it's insane, but yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to remember what we're talking about now. Oh, yeah, I'm hoping that they upgrade their combat system to make leveling up things feel impactful and interesting. Like, think if you had a sneak skill where you actually get behind somebody in combat and you can like backstab them properly, and there's an animation for backstabbing somebody, that'd be nice. And then there's there's another level progression here. So, Dragon Age and Witcher 3 have this really different progression system that's... They both feel like a really interesting puddle. Or like a really nice water fountain. It's not very deep, but it's kind of cool, you know? It's just like, that's neat. Because, like, Dragon Age has the... You have a couple different branches, and you have to go in them on a straight line, basically in order to get to the next one, the next one, the next one. And it does matter. Like in Dragon Age, like the decisions you make matter quite a bit and you can really screw something up. Or like if you want to be able to unlock a box in Dragon Age, you have to actually mean it. 
and get a character that that's what they're doing. They have a high, you know, skills as rogue and they can actually unlock a box. The game doesn't just let you do that. And there's no other way to do it. You have to be have a rogue character that unlocks stuff. And I really, really like that about Dragon Age. They definitely watered it down a bit as the series went on. I think one was probably the most punishing and they probably made it more accessible on purpose. But stuff like that's really cool. And same thing, Witcher 3 is a very similar looking system where you slowly build up, you know, in a line to get better at something. If you want your potion skill to be high, you actually have to actually mean it. Which I really, it's really good. It's just, there's not a ton of depth to it. Like it's, like I said, it's, it's shallow. There's a good piece of steak there, but it's about this big. And I don't know, like, obviously these are games you probably haven't played like a ton of. No, but they're good in that way. <laughs> I know, like, now now that I can power through the bad optimization of Dragon Age with my new graphics card, we'll have to get into that again. Because <laughs> <laughs> for some reason that game was just like, nah, man, I'm not going to use your graphics card. <laughs> yeah. And then the next game, so I feel like I'm going to be the one talking about this next game. Just, just going to go out on a limb with that one. I played uh, it when it was new. That was the last time, really. <laughs> kind of gets into what I think should be a path that games try and take more and more. Because I think it's one of the better ways to do these skill trees in progression. Mm-hmm. It's also a game series that I think has just gone consistently downhill in its character progression. Mm-hmm. Over the course of its lifetime. And that's Fable. Fable 3 has some of the worst character progression I've ever seen in a game. You get, like, crests and then have this, like, mystical area with this, like, path that's supposed to be, like, your path to becoming king. That you can open chests along that have the upgrades in them. It's okay, I've played... <laughs> I've, I've played this game and I don't know where... I keep thinking about this. I think I've played all three of these Fable games at some point. But I think it's just a part of my brain that got like really high and wandered off that's trying to remember it. <laughs> so I think I think it's if I had a way to play these games a little bit more conveniently, like if they were on PC, it would it would help. Uh Fable 2 is a little bit better, but then Fable 1 and This may just be that I wasn't playing games back then and that this is one of the first games I've played. But Fable 1 Mm. to me feels like one of the first games that kind of had this progression system where you had to do the thing to get Mm. better at it. And while Fable 1 wasn't fully indexed on this, it had four types of experience that you gained from killing things. You had your general experience, which you Mm. got a little bit of general experience whenever an enemy died. Then whenever you cast magic, you got some will experience. Whenever you used one of your, they were called agility skills, but like uh, your sneak or your arrows or stuff like that, you gained a little bit of agility or I think the name was agility. It might not be agility, but agility experience. And then whenever you like swung a sword or blocked with a shield or anything like that, you gained a little bit of physical experience. And Mm -hmm. each of those types of experience could only be used on the skills in that tree. Which winds up feeling like what you do matters. Where if you want to be a swordsman, it's better to be a swordsman the whole time. Yeah. And while I do think that 
this game had some balancing issues where I think there's uh, some things to do that are absurdly strong and way better than everything else. Yeah. They're different enough that it feels compelling to try new things. And you want to, like, do different things. And then I also, one thing I really liked with the, because this game was heavily focused on, like, its alignment and, like, being good or evil, a lot of your skills impacted your alignment. There Mm -hmm. are skills that casting made people have, like, a more evil perception of you or made people have a more good perception of you. And actually, like, impacted that. And, like, if you level up Guile, yeah, you'll have a ton more stealth and can barter with people. But, like, people actively respond to you worse. Which is just, like, a really cool concept and very unique. As well as, it's a game where, unlike Skyrim, your skills actually interacted with one another. So as you put points into something like uh, some of the spells, they'll have effects on other things. And it winds up where you can do some really cool stuff because you can kind of split and have multiple effects coming from the same one. Yeah. That's something that Dragon Age has, too, is that there are... If you select things that if you choose to use them skill-wise, that they affect the world around you. Like, blood magic's the big thing. Where people actively look down on you for taking that skill path, and it's really cool. And that's something I definitely liked about Fable, is that as your character um, progresses, the world around you acknowledges that. And the decisions you make matter in that game. I remember walking around with double horns a lot in that game. I ate the chickens a lot. I feel bad about it now. and i think going past that kind of the next step for that was games where you have a whole bunch of different skills Mm -hmm. and you gain points in those skills by using them which is my favorite thing ever i love it it's the best yeah so good and like a a great example (sighs) of that is runescape which i played a ton of when i was younger runescape you had like 24 or something different skills And in order to level up your woodcutting, you had to cut down trees. In order to level up your fire making, you had to make fires. In order to level up your combat, like your swords, you had to hit things with a sword. So it's just, that's kind of cool because, again, it leads to that you can do, like, you have to do what you want to do to get better at it. RuneScape has the issue of you just hit the point where you do everything, much like Skyrim. But Mm. it's still, it has, like, that time investment. And because it's an MMO, I feel like it dodges that problem. But that's an entirely different thing because MMOs kind of get different standards because they're based around a little bit different than a traditional RPG. Yeah. Yeah, RuneScape's something I never really got into. I think uh, I missed it because I'm old. (laughs) And and then a recent game that did this as well was Valheim. Yes. Good old Valheim. And so far, I like Valheim so far that it's very much you do the thing, you get better at the thing. I'm really curious to get into that game a little bit more and see how deep that goes because I'm not sure how deep and how impactful some of that stuff is later. Which I don't, I honestly, I don't want to look it up. I don't want spoilers. Don't spoil me. But then, too, Remnant from the Ashes. I want to do that one next before we do the uh, the last one in this category. Remnant's trait system was sweet. I just wish Remnant's, that game had more to it. Remnant's trait system was really close. I mm-hmm. loved the fact that there were traits that just the game doesn't show you. 
and then you do something and they show up. Yeah. That was so cool. I love that so much. The only thing I wish is that those traits continued to level up as you did the thing. That would be cool, yes. Rather than just then becoming something you can put stat points into. Yeah. And I'm on the same spot with this game as I was after we got done playing it, is I want Remnant 2 really bad. Because I think if you learned some lessons from this game and took the money and made it bigger, that, you know, we could get somewhere with this. Like, we got somewhere to go here, you know? And Remnant is actually free on PS Plus, if anybody has it. The game is free this month, which is huge, because it's really good. Like, a game a game is one of those things where people think 7.5 and 8 isn't a good score, but it is. And that's what I would give that game, is like a 7.5 to an 8. And it's worth your time. I think the game's really fun. The game just has the thing where so many parts of it are a 10, and then it doesn't have enough. It's yeah. too small. Yeah. Right? Whereas, like, what that game does, it does really well. Yeah. But like, I would probably play that game through again, to be honest. The game 100%. was fun. Yeah, the yeah. game was a blast. But then, it's just, it doesn't feel like it has the longevity of a lot of the other games on this list. Yeah. And one of the... One of the things I really like about the progression system is when you get rewarded for doing the thing. It's a big theme, right? And that's where <laughs> Oblivion... Oblivion is the best example of that to me when it comes to like you do the thing you get better at it. The presentation of it I think is a big part too. The where you're a novice, you're apprentice, you're a journeyman, an expert, then a master, based on your skill level, which is kind of cool. It's like a really fun way of presenting a thing. It makes it interesting. It makes it immersive, and just the fact that something as simple as acrobatics, which they took out of this game series because they hate fun, you go from you can attack while you're jumping is the first thing. Then you can dodge and roll. You fatigue less than jumping. And then you can jump off the surface of water. It's like so sick. Like stuff like that's like really sweet towards like you're good at a thing. You're, you're really good at a thing. And then like you're just anime Jesus now. And it's just like <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. Like even like as an armorer where like you don't break hammers for repairing things anymore actively changes the way that game works. Now you just sell the hammers when you see them or bribes costing last. Like it's really fun. I really like that. But the fact that Oblivion did something with its skill system that most games, I don't think want to invest the time into or make their players feel bad for doing it. And the game they're going to talk about right after this does the same thing where how you choose to level up affects your stats. So in Oblivion, you had major and minor skills where the major skills are what you use to actually gain levels. So when you do one of your major skills that gets your levels up, your minor skills influenced what stats you got when you leveled up. So it's like, yes, like you attack something because you took um, like a blade, for example. So you're attacking something with a sword, you get levels up. And what else you did in your minor skills shows you how much of that stat's going to start going up. And it made it really interesting because, like, you're, if you want to actually min-max your character, you need to play the way you told the game you wanted to. Like, you're majorly attacking, but you have a minor skill in athletics. So when you level up and you've done a bunch of athletic stuff, you can get a lot more into your agility stats. I really like that system. I understand why they stopped doing it because it is very in-depth. But I still want it back really bad because it made every decision matter. 
and it made your character your character. You could make your own classes in that game and save them. So you could like go full on RPG mode or just pick one of the pre-built things and go play. And a game like that having a difficulty slider to where you can just, you know, play the way you want to play. You don't even have to be a god at it. You still got to play the way you wanted to play. And a lot of games now just don't have that depth to them anymore. Yeah. I've never played Oblivion, so I don't really have much to say on it. But you you rant and rave about this game. I mean, and I've heard okay. nothing but good things about it. So what you're saying is, let's play Oblivion. <laughs> uh, so the next three games on this list are the games that I think, and you can you can disagree with me on this, mm-hmm. get me most interested in character development. Okay. These so- games make me want to like sit mm-hmm. down with a spreadsheet and think about all the different things I can do. Yeah, and I think the one big difference here is... What crosses this bridge over to where something like Oblivion is different than these games, which we're talking about the tactics games. Stuff like XCOM, Final Fantasy Tactics, and Felseal, which are the ones we have the most experience with. Oblivion... You can you can cheese Oblivion and still beat it. Like, you don't have to, like, min-max, but min-maxing is good. If you screw up your build in XCOM or Felseal, you're dead. <laughs> Your yeah, if you, yeah dead. If you're playing on the higher <laughs> difficulties. You not only are you dead, your your game is also unsalvageable. Revert to a previous save or restart. Exactly. And to be honest, in Felseal, I'm starting to wonder if I should go hit up the reset my character level button with where I'm at. Because I'm yeah, like, so, I think I entered. <laughs> yeah, so so let's talk Felseal first, because I think it's made a lot of improvements on the genre. Mm-hmm. But so what we're talking about is in these games. Generally, characters will have a class, and this varies a little bit between the games. For example, in Felseal, you can kind of change your character's class willy-nilly. Yeah. Um, I think in Tactics, you can do mostly the same thing. Yeah, you can change it whenever you want Tactics, too. In XCOM, you can't. So XCOM, yes. when you choose a class, when you choose, like, Sharpshooter or Grenadier, or if you don't have it set up, like, the building set up yet, if it's just assigned at random to one of your characters... um. You can't change that. So you're locked into your base th- stats. So it doesn't have the um, change in stats from what mm-hmm. you level up as. But all these games, you have your main class where you get all the abilities from it. And then you can kind of index into other skills from a different class. So for Felseal, you have your main class and your minor class. And then you have two passive slots. So you get the active skills from your main class, the active skills from your minor class, and then you can choose two passives from anywhere that you've learned them. Yeah. Now, there's a big difference here between this and tactics. Tactics didn't really manipulate your stats as you level up as a job. Felseal actively changes what stats your character is getting from level up by what job they were when they leveled up. Which is wild. Like... That's some spreadsheet stuff right there. And I'm <laughs> I'm playing it on the hardest difficulty. I just don't have permadeath turned on because this is still my first playthrough of it all the way through. And it's punishing. Like, if you're just giving your guy stats that he's not going to use later, it's actively bad. So, 
a lot of these games you can usually just go through the job list and start leveling everything up and there's no ramifications for it in this you can't just be like hey i want you know my guy to be a master of all these jobs well now his level up is going to be screwed up he's going to be bad at everything and good at nothing he's just going to be he's just not going to do anything and that's actively been a thing i've been having to keep track of in the game which is really cool tactics yeah. didn't do that tactics there were some fudgy builds you can make in tactics that were really messed up like blade grasp uh, from the samurai tree i think it was was like really broken because you could like dodge attacks for free it was really kind of messed up fell seal definitely has a little bit more of if you want to touch this over here and make this person learn this skill like well their stats are going to be weird now and i really like that about that game it, yeah it gives Fel you seal. the choice yeah it gives you the choice but with consequence yeah fell seal is a game that it's very much closer to tactics than XCOM. And as such, mm. since your primary experience is XCOM and mine or tactics and mine is XCOM, Felseal didn't go over the best for me. It's a game that I really, when I have some more time, do want to sit down and play through though, because mm. it's just so interesting because I feel like there are so many different things you can do with the two additional passives that you can have from anywhere. You could just do, do something so interesting. And then I feel like, you can even like index into off character stats, which I think is really cool. So if you're like, I want to build a ranger, but I also really want to have like three level ups of health on this guy. You can like level up three times as a knight and have nine or yeah. 10 bonus HP on your character, which I just think is so cool. That's so yeah. interesting. And even in XCOM, being able to mix and match your abilities is one of the sweetest things. Like, it's just so interesting to have that where you can mix and match, like, some of your ranger abilities that give you, like, resets on kill and stuff like that with, like, even your sniper abilities. So suddenly your sniper can shoot multiple times in a turn if they kill a target. Yeah. And it's just, that's so cool. And XCOM has the leadership abilities in it as well, which I think are really interesting where you can give your characters leadership abilities, but they're only active on one character in each mission. Yeah. So you have to like choose which character is the leader and they get specific abilities for it. And the abilities are really powerful. And that's the thing that I think across all three of these games, it's done really well where these abilities all feel like they make a difference, not just in your strength, but in how you play and you play yeah. around the abilities you have. And playing around the abilities you have, like a big thing in Felseal, which I thought was really cool is, um, I, I forget the wording they use, but spell shaping. There's friendly fire on wizards' abilities unless you give them the skill to not damage your characters. But then that takes a slot. So if you're not going to plan out properly and you need to use that skill, it has a real impact because you can only have so many of these things active at once. So using up a slot for spell shaping is huge. And I, like, I have it on my characters and I think it's wrong. And I'm going to try to take it off. But man, that's going to make the game hard. Yeah. And yeah, I like that about XCOM too. The one I've played of it, there's a lot of decisions you have to make in that game and they really matter. And then there's something that I know you've played this game a bit more than me at this point here is Darkest Dungeon. This game has one of my favorite things in any game that I've ever played from like an RPG perspective. And that is its traits system. So in Darkest Dungeon, 
your characters can basically get positive and negative traits assigned to them at random. And things that you do can have an effect on that. And if they reach maximum stress, they have a chance to have a negative ailment or a positive ailment. And then you can basically spend time and resources. So you have to pay money and they like have to sit out for a number of missions to lock traits, to make them so they can't get replaced by new ones or to remove traits that you don't like. And the combination of customization where you can actually impact which traits you have by locking them and by removing them and the random aspect of how they drop is one of the most intriguing things to me and absolutely incredible where I feel like there's a strategy in this game where you like get your, you max out a character's stress multiple times to try and roll virtues and wind up with like a God character because you rolled the the three virtues that, that you wanted. And just that is so cool to have that combination of the random and the controlled aspects of it, where I would love to see that idea explored in more of a traditional like first person or third person RPG. Mm -hmm. Like imagine a game like Fable where you can get like a trait. Like if you if you steal too much, you get kleptomania. And like it actually impacts your character yeah. and stuff like that. That stuff would be so cool. And it's just something that I don't think I've seen anywhere else in the same yeah. way. And that's like the most we've done with that. Like that I can think of is Oblivion and Skyrim touched it a little bit. Where you can, you know, get vampirism or uh, I think they called. I don't remember what the werewolf one's called, like lichenism or whatever. Where you can actually contract it by like interacting with these things and getting hit by vampires, like you can get vampirism, which was really cool. But of course, they let you cop out of it whenever you want, pretty easily. But more, yeah, like more stuff like that, where it's like if you do a thing, your character is now obligated to do it. Or you know, like I think like arachnophobia would be hilarious and something like like a third person RPG, like something like Skyrim to where like, if you see spiders, your character actively like does less damage or gets like scared of them or something would be really funny. It's like a spider yeah. killed you. You're scared of spiders now. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that would just be so interesting. I think it would make the games really intriguing and you can add some, mm. you don't have to be purely random. Like I doubt that darkest dungeon is purely random. I assume that what you're doing affects what type of traits you can get, but having just these traits that, you can get added to your character that have long-term effects. And even if there's a way to treat them, like, as I said, Darkest Dungeon, there is a cost to treat them. Like, it's not an easy thing to do. Just that kind of idea is so cool and really contributes to that your experience, your character's experiences mold who they are and affect how you have to play the game and what their skill set is. Yeah. And that's just something that... More games, they just go that little extra mile to make things deeper. I always really appreciate it. And that's why something like XCOM, Tactics, Fell Seal, Darkest Dungeon, like this this gen, this gen, group of games does such a good job of doing that. And it's just like the general thing of like, when your game is resettable and your decisions don't matter, it just really affects the game. Like, yeah, like you can do that in Fell Seal. Like you can reset your skills, but... You might lock yourself out of the game if you do it at the wrong time, which is kind of kind of cool. And there's like a real cost to doing it. And just like in Darkest Dungeons, like you're saying, like 
curing this stuff isn't easy. And the games that have resetting progression with no cost really breaks immersion and makes it less interesting to me. And I don't know, like, and it's interesting too, like you said, like, there's not a lot of games out there that have a deep progression system outside of the armor and gear you're wearing. Like, I never realized how tied that stuff was to, you know, character progression. Like, a lot of games rely on random loot drops. Or, I mean, you know, we'll get into next week, this next week, yeah. but a lot of games also don't do their armor and weapons very well. That they don't. That they don't. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was very surprised. I thought that there was mm-hmm. going to be a lot more of positive like character development, like character progression that I would come across and just overall I feel like games haven't totally figured it out. Yeah, not and quite. And I feel m- maybe I think we're looking for something that might not be as in demand. Games like Skyrim <laughs> sell really well because you can do whatever. Whereas, like, we're actively asking for something that's a little bit less sandboxy, that's yeah. a little bit more punishing, a little bit less casual in a way. Yeah. So, like, I understand why we don't see them as often, but I'd like to see them explored more. Yeah. I It seems like everything seems to just get this convenience aspect added onto it, and I'd really like to see some stuff in the other direction, you know? Yeah, even if it's something that's optional, like... Fallout, for all for some of its flaws with the way the game controls, has survival mode in it. Where like if you get crippled, you have to go to a doctor to to get your leg healed, and you have to eat and drink. Like that kind of stuff's really cool. And having games like that where like it locks you into decisions would add a lot to it. But maybe we won't get one. Maybe we'll just be sitting here being all hardcore in our little corner. <laughs> Meh, we'll just play more of the games that do it well. It's fine. Yeah, whatever. I'm just going to go reinstall Oblivion. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, shall we head out? Yeah, I think that's all. Yeah. Well, until next week, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe on YouTube. Tell us how much you hate our opinions. We don't care. I'll just comment right back. Better watch out. (laughs) <laughs> well, until next week.